Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. So hey, I want to share with you a little bit today a message entitled, What is My Response? Um, I think with everything going on, I heard different people tell me, ask me different questions about my, my, my response last week that I, I shared, if you haven't listened to it. I encourage you to go online and listen to it. Um, it is definitely my heart. I wouldn't change a stinking thing about it. Matter of fact, it might get worse. So if that bothered you, um, I love you in Jesus' name, but uh, I refuse to back up on this at all. And I'll tell you why. is because I believe personally the power of the gospel does more than just transform us so that we can worship Jesus. It's supposed to transform us so that we transform a community. It's not supposed to be a 10 to 12 moment where we worship God and it doesn't do anything else in our lifetime. It's supposed to transform the people around us. And so I want to talk today a little bit about what is my response? What is my response? And I'm, I'm not even referring to as much as what's going on out there. I can do that again during the week. I'm talking from the Bible today. I'll give you some biblical explain, explanation here today. But today I'm going to read to you a little bit out of Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And so if you want to look there, turn over there. I'm going to read from the New King James version of the Bible because I'm more familiar with uh, these passages and I don't have to sit and read so much scripture. I can I have a, I, I learn and I studied through this version years ago, but so I'm just going to read this. If you have a different uh, version of the Bible, it's fine. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to read from this today. But while you're turning there in Acts chapter 6, I want to ask you a question. What is my response? What's my response to things going on in the world? What's my response to a number of things? You know, sometimes when your kids bring you things you know, you ask the question, what is my response to this? You know, what do I do with this all of a sudden? I, I wasn't expecting that. Or, or what about a friend who says something to you that you're not expecting them to say? And you're like, well, what is my response? Or guys, um, if you hadn't learned this already, God forbid, uh, you have to learn this the hard way. But if your wife says to you something that you think you might have forgotten, and she says, did you do what I asked you to do? You're not supposed to say, no, you never told me that. You're supposed to say... Uh, I'm working on it. That is the right response. You don't say, you didn't tell me that. That is grounds for issues and counseling in the next week. So Acts chapter 6, chapter 6, verse 1, I want to read this to you. Now, in those days, uh, now this is about five years after the day of Pentecost. As you heard last week, we talked about Shavuot. It's five years after this has happened. So this is after Pentecost, about five years. Lots of church growth, lots of things have happened. Five years after now, in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenistics. In other words, it was the Hebrew Jews, Hellenistic Jews. In other words, one were, they spoke Hebrew, one spoke Greek. That's basically the difference in the two. They're both Jewish people, but one spoke Hebrew, one spoke Greek. Because their widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now, in their culture, in their day and time, is a little different than we are. They didn't have a system set up like we did. The church handled it. The church handled it. They handled everything, you know. They handled the health care. They handled taking care of the widows. They took care of the orphans, the poor. They didn't rely on the government or the state to do it. It was the church that did all this. And so the widows, though, were being neglected. The Hellenistic Jews, the, the Greek-speaking Jews in the daily distribution. Well, so then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples, and they said, I don't believe this is when it says the multitude of the disciples. I don't believe it was the whole crowd. I believe it was a group of leaders the multitude of the disciples, and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, had they just said that, that response alone 
would have been a bit insensitive, don't you think? I mean, here's a group of people coming up to you and saying, hey, listen, I didn't get my bread. I didn't get my uh, food. You know, these guys over here that speak Hebrew got everything, but I'm having a hard time because I speak Greek. I didn't get the same things that they got, but I'm a Jew too. And what would you think if the disciples said, hey, it's not right. I'm just going to tell you right now, Greek-speaking Jew, it's not right that I leave the Word of God in prayer to take care of this, okay? That would be so insensitive, don't you think? I mean, everybody would say, yes, that's insensitive. Thank God that's not what they did. However, I will say this. Isn't it unfortunate today that in our culture, we are not wise enough to stop and ask ourselves, is that the end of the statement that someone said, or are they just clipping and cutting part of it to post what they want you to hear, which is a narrative that they want you to believe? Isn't it amazing how we are so smart We are so educated with all of our degrees that we can't stop and fact check something to see if it is even accurate or if someone made the story up. It's amazing to me. That's a whole other message for another day. We'll keep moving on. Nonetheless, he says this. It's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, here's the response. Brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying, watch this, it pleased just the Hebrew-speaking Jews. No, it pleased the whole multitude. In other words, everybody said, that's a good answer. I don't mind, you know, you praying and worshiping and doing your work there, preacher. You mean somebody's going to help take care of this? Yes, we're going to appoint Greek-speaking Jews to handle the Greek-speaking Jews. They're going to get all the food that they need. And the Hebrew-speaking Jews, they're going to eat all the food, and everybody goes away happy. Wouldn't that be nice if we could get some of that joy today? But the answer supplied, the response was good for everyone. And it says this, it pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Man, you ought to go read more about Stephen, what he did. And Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and proselyte from Antioch. And they were set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then watch this. Watch this. Watch this. The gospel, by resolving an issue, the gospel multiplied. It spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. They converted people in the the Judaism, if you will. They converted them to Christianity because they solved an issue. And I'm asking today, what is my response to the world that's going on around me? I'll tell you what I think our response, my, I'll say my response. My response is to help. How can I help and not hurt? How can I help and not hurt? And regardless of the Hebrew Jews' thoughts or their experience, here's what the Greeks were saying. I have an experience that is different from your experience. That's all they were saying. That's it. I have an experience that is different. What would you think if the Hebrews said, I just don't believe it. I don't understand. We're all Jews. Why can't you just get along? And they're listening going like, I don't understand what you're saying. You're speaking to me in Hebrew. I'm a Greek-speaking Jew. Give me some Greek. You know, like, I don't know what you're talking about. It would be totally and completely and sensitive. So listen to this. Let me ask the question. Let me put this on the screen for you guys at home. Those in here, we're going to put on the screen for everybody. I want you to ask you a question, a very serious question right now. And I want you to ask you this and consider this thought. Is my experience the only one that I view other people 
from? Is my experience the only one that I view others from? Because if that's the case, i got to be honest with you, man. I grew up on a farm. Well, it was like a hobby farm. You know the difference between a hobby farm and a real farm? My father-in-law's got a friend who's a real farmer. He makes money on his. A hobby farm, you don't make any money. That's the difference right there. If you have a land and you think you have a farm, it's not a farm unless you make money on it. It's a hobby if you're not making any money. That's what we had growing up, a hobby farm. And so my grandparents planted things. I helped them plant seed. We plowed rows and rows of stuff. We used to plant rows of tomatoes and corn and peppers and black-eyed peas and green beans and collard greens. And we planted all kind of crazy stuff. Man, she planted a banana tree one year, man. We started growing bananas. I mean, oranges. She grew oranges in Rome, Georgia. With the fr- She knew how to do all this stuff. Now, you put my experience in downtown Queens, New York, and me try to tell everybody there, this is how you're supposed to live. And the most of the majority of the people there are going to be like, huh? You know, this is how we roll in Queens. You go down to the Bogota and get some stuff at the store, baby. They have all that stuff. You don't plant anything. We go pick it up as we go home. That's what we're going to do. That's what you do. It's a totally different experience. My wife and I, when we went to New York for the very, well, she'd been there, but I had never been, but I went for the first time. And we went, and we stayed in Brooklyn. And it's amazing how many people have told me since going, you guys stayed in Brooklyn? Oh, my gosh, have you heard about how bad it is there? And I say, um, our experience was wonderful. Matter of fact, I loved it. You rode the subways? Oh, my gosh. How did you survive? Well, along with five million other people, I don't know, that everybody rides the subways. I didn't feel threatened one bit. Rode the subways, and this is before COVID-19. I touched the metal railings. You know, now I wouldn't ride the subway at all. Like, I'd be like, I'm just going to walk everywhere in New York. Like, I wouldn't, I don't know what I would do. But nonetheless, Queens is different than Rome, Georgia. And I realized in my experience in Brooklyn, New York, was different than my experience in Rome, Georgia. And if I take my experience as a Roman native here in Georgia and say, this is how Queens ought to operate It's going to be conflict because that is not their perspective. So the funny thing about this is regardless of what I think, let me just say this, the rest of the family of God in the world is not experiencing the same thing. Their experiences are different than mine. And that doesn't make them wrong and me right. It doesn't make me wrong and them right. It means we have different experiences. So... The disciples did something that we could all learn from today. They responded. They responded. Man, listen, if you're home, listen to me right now. I want to ask you a question. Everybody in the room right now, I'll ask you a question. What is my response? There's a quote that gets mixed up, and I'll be honest with you now, I have no idea who actually said it. I mean, I thought it was Kennedy one time, then I thought it was some other guy, I've researched, researched, and I think it's somebody took a combination of his and his and his, and they put one together and wrote a book, and then, you know, whatever. But it goes something like this. Evil will triumph when good people do nothing. It's exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. It's exactly what happened in Egypt. It's exactly what happened every time you see a constant rule and reign of terror. In Sudan, where I've been in South Sudan, I can tell you the reason why there's such conflict there is because you have bad government oversight. It's, a lot of it's corrupt. And when it is that way and nothing changes, when good people sit along and watch and say, well, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just not, it eventually goes a different direction. Evil always triumphs when good people do nothing. You realize in Acts chapter 2, now we're going to go to the day of Pentecost. Let me read these verses to you. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Again, I'm going to read to you from New King James Version because I'm more familiar with this part. I normally don't use this translation, but um, for me, going to college, and this is what we studied nonstop. This is all they let us have. 
So it's just what's familiar. But Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, in other words, it was the 50th day, they were all up in one accord in one place. And suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues, or cloven tongues of fire, as one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, if you just stop right there, you kind of miss the beauty of what just happened, I, I think. Personally, this is my, my, thought, my, my um, insight from this. It says next, after they were all filled with the Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem, watch this, Jews, devout men, people that loved God. From every, watch this, I don't know what your Bible translation says at home or in here, I'm not sure what you're using, but every nation, it, it could say every tribe, it could say every country, it could say every nationality, ethnicity, I don't know, you pick the word you want to hit, every Every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone, watch this, all of a sudden, watch what happened. The gospel now went from being contained to a group, it spread out and everyone now is hearing them speak in their own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak? Galileans, in other words, they're saying, ain't these a bunch of guys from the backside of the Galilee? Come on, man. We, how did they, when did they go to school? Did they get some Rosetta Stone and they've been working behind the scenes? How did they do all this? And how is it that we hear each in our own language? You have to understand on Pentecost, it was a great feast. It was a pilgrimage feast. So in other words, there are people that came. The Greeks came from Greece. The people that were in Italy came from Italy. Everywhere around the known world, they assembled together in Jerusalem. They were there. And as they were there, I'm going to read some names to you that I can't pronounce all of them, but just hang tight and listen. Isn't this, we hear them in our own language in which we're born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Notice some words in there that they used. Arabs. People from Libya, these are all Jews in different regions that today many people say, well, you know, those are areas where that's all Muslims and that's all this. And I'm just telling you, God is about nations, nations, not just our nation. And he goes on to say this, so they heard them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed, perplexed, and to wonder. I, I don't know if they're more amazed that the Galileans were speaking in their language <laughs> and were freaking them out, or that they were just amazed at the fact that so many people could hear in different languages. But nonetheless, they said this question, what could this mean? Now watch what's next. Isn't it amazing how it's always this way. When God begins to move, you always have the opposition or another side who begins to say some things to make fun of God and what he's trying to do. Never fails. Every move you've ever seen that God has done, initiated, and moved, Good people with good intent, with good hearts. Azusa Street, people thought they were crazy. No, they were just people who loved God and reached out and said, God, we just want you to move. And it was a revival that broke out. That's what happened. Good people who wanted to learn the Bible started teaching and understanding the Bible better from just preaching. And they were crucified saying, well, you're not about evangelism. No, they just wanted to learn the Bible. It's amazing how when you want to just understand God, I want to be sensitive to you, God, what you want me to do. 
church has changed from being just about us and just our own group to saying we're going to reach out different. We're going to change what our churches look like. We're going to put scriptures on screens so that everyone can follow. We're going to change some lighting. We're going to do some things different. And people say, oh, you're watering down the gospel. No. Good people with good hearts set out to do great things, but then there's always a religion or a religious spirit that wants to try to raise its ugly head up and do something different. But watch the response of the disciples. Others mocked and said they were full of new wine. Verse 14, but Peter responded. Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these men, these women, these folks are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But then what does he do? He says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. You notice how he did this. Multicultural, multinational, and multi-age. Multi-generational. It is not reserved for those who have had certain experiences. The gospel is for all. It's for everyone. And the greatest thing about this outpouring... Personally, I don't think it was the tongues themselves. Nothing wrong with that. It's great, and there's a great lesson they've learned from that. There's a great baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's great things to learn about the baptism of the Spirit, praying in tongues, all kinds of great things there. Here's the thing that I thought was beautiful, though, that it was the fact that all nations under heaven were represented at that time. It was the known world. And I want to share this today as I continue on in this message. The gospel is not, it is not an American gospel. It is a gospel of good news that was given to the world by Jesus Christ. For God so loved the United States of America that he sent his only... But that's... But that, when we... If we're not careful, that is the thing that we think about our experiences. I'm telling you, I've been in Africa on the backside of South Sudan and I've watched our gospel and how we know it does not work the same way in the backside of South Sudan. You don't set up stuff like this and put it on LEDs and put it on the... That is not going to work in the backside of South Sudan. You know what you got to have there? A moped. A moped and a big old all-terrain vehicle with a lot of medicine because you're battling and fighting against malaria nonstop. So if you want to preach the good news, that's great. But when water is so tormented and disgusting and filthy and there's no clean water, how is it that you can come in with Bibles and talk about Jesus when they're saying, I can't even drink the water that I have? The experience doesn't fit the narrative that comes from my culture. So what do I do? I switch. I say, you need clean water. Okay, then. Instead of putting up a fancy, comfortable air-conditioning environment, because that would not work anyway. There's no electricity. <laughs> what do you do? You, deal, you drink water wells. And you drill down, and that's what you do. And therefore, now you have clean water. And a village says, why would you do this? And you say, because Jesus Christ sent me to give you clean water. Why? Who's this Jesus Christ? He's the son of the living. And now you have a revival. It works differently in every country. It's the number one thing, and I'm not a missionary, and I don't know much about missions. I just have friends who are. But I remember taking one class in school about world missions and evangelism. This is the one thing I remember out of all of it. I didn't understand half of it, but the number one thing I remember is this. Respect the culture. 
respect the culture. You can't take your culture and make it work on the back end of Libya no more than I can take it to Colombia and South America and force them to understand my culture. You've got to respect their culture and bring the gospel in. This is why Paul said, I have become all things to all men that I might save some. He didn't say I've become some things to some men so that I might reach all. When I was with the Jew, I was with and I ate and I acted and I respected the Jewish culture. When I was with the Gentile, I didn't force this custom over them because they didn't understand. I respected the culture. And if my gospel that I understand doesn't move me at times to see the world beyond me. I want to ask the question, is my gospel really good news or is it just news? They were all moved and they heard them give glory to God, all nations. So as we continue on here today, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit should cause us to see nations. It should cause us to see nations. The gospel should cause me to be moved with compassion. I say moved with compassion for all and not some. All. That includes Muslims and Christians. I've got to know some Muslims that live around our neighborhood here at the church. And you know, this has been a long time since 9-11. Been, been, been a while since. No one's forgotten that. But here's what I've realized. The narrative that came out after that was the same narrative that came out after the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. All Japanese are evil. All Muslims are evil. That's not true. Now, if you only get your, your experience from the culture that you live in and from the voices that only, um, you know, high-five you about what you believe, then you're only going to stay in your box and what you understand. But if you step out of your box and ask someone else and get to know another culture, you'll find out that you don't have to lay down your culture, in a sense, or lay down your experiences and grow up. I don't have to give up the fact that I planted peas as a young man in my farm. That's not going to change a thing about who I am. But if I go to the Bronx or I go to the Queens or I go to Brooklyn and they tell me, we don't plant peas here, bro. What are you, there's sidewalk everywhere. Where are you going to plant some peas? Why would I force? It, it does not diminish me to understand them. It only makes me look foolish if I cannot listen to another person. This means Democrats and Republicans. My gospel should be powerful enough to infiltrate any political position. If my gospel is only reserved for one political party, I challenge you on this. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that has been based upon experience and culture. That is not what Jesus did. Jesus preached to Pharisees, Sadducees, and if you didn't know the difference, they had some disagreements. Pharisees, all of the Sanhedrin, to the Roman Empire, to the Galilee, to Jerusalem. He went all around the world to the Samaritans. He left nothing off the table. His gospel was broad. And it did not make him less of the Son of God for proclaiming the gospel. Black and white. In our day right now, this is the big thing we're talking about right now, is I don't get it, I don't understand it, why is everybody upset? I can tell you from my experience what I know, but until I listen to another experience, I'm only going to be working out of what I know 
And I can't possibly understand what another person is going through if I don't listen to what they're saying. If I feel insecure about my position of who I am and what my culture is and planting peas growing up on a hobby farm, I will never understand the experiences of another person who grew up doing something different. Gay and straight. If my gospel is only centered around the straight community of America, and that is working for them, but it is not powerful enough to transform the life of any human being, if I say, well, I don't agree, and so therefore I don't preach, the gospel is not about whether or not you fit my narrative. The gospel is for all. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that leads, it transforms a life. It is not about my culture. If I consider the pain of others worthy of mockery, let me just say this morning, I'm going to put on your screen, I'm going to put on my screen to challenge every one of us this morning. My gospel is shallow at best and ineffective at worst. That's just the reality. It's going to get better before you leave today, I promise you that. But when they were filled, they moved out and they began to reach the community. No one asked the widows, how many boxes can we check off for you? Do we, do we fit what you were, can I check this box? Check? No, they just eased the suffering of their pain. When we drill wells in Guatemala, it is not because I feel guilty. It is because the love of Christ compels me to fix something that is wrong in the lives of somebody else. That is why I drill a well in Guatemala. I did not build a church in the backside of the region of Patan because I felt you know, somehow guilty about the Latino culture and I felt like, well, you know, I don't feel right about how. No, I did it because the gospel should be preached to all nations. We built a church in South Sudan not because I felt guilty for what I saw. I was moved with compassion. I don't operate out of guilt. I operate out of compassion. That is the power of the gospel. Why would we do those things? This just happened, just so you know. This is not going to tell you this. I'm going to click over, so I'm going to lose some of you guys online. I mean, you won't. I won't. You're going to stay online. I'm going to kick off. But I'll read you something right here. You didn't know about this. This just happened, just fresh off the press. We were approached through our network at Gateway Church. It's about... 45, maybe 50 of us as pastors and leaders in churches that, that gain oversight from Gateway Church in Dallas, Texas. Pastor Robert Morris is our pastor, wonderful church there. But they reached out because of everything that's been going on, not only with COVID-19, now with more things. But they asked, they say, hey, listen, we have a church. There's a church in Queens, and they need some help. They've been feeding thousands of people since New York shut down, thousands of people. Like, it's not like here. And, and I, I really get tired of people. And, I don't, and if I lose you and you click off for this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But wake up. People have died because it is not a freaking scam. It's real. I have a pastor friend that's buried five people in the Bronx. It is not a scam. It's ridiculous. But if you listen to a narrative that supports your belief system, then you will always stay in your box. Pastors here in Rome, Jordan buried somebody because they died with COVID. It is not a joke. But people, that's what they do because it's funny to them. Oh, I think it's just, you know, it's not real. No, it's real. But it's only real if you hear it from the experience of somebody else. That's when it's real. So together, though, we came together and this is what we did. They said, hey, is there anything you can do? Well, so because of your generosity as a church, because of everything that we've been doing, there have been people who have given, we've been doing some things and upgrading some technology here. But because of 
people giving extra to help us with that. We had money in general budget, and we were able to send and partner with all of our churches within this region. We wrote a partner together, and we raised $92,700 and sent to Queens, New York. Yeah, absolutely. So you give some love online for that, too. That's awesome. The pastor there is Chris Durso. He pastors Saints Church in Queens, New York. And for them right now, you know what's happening? They're probably feeding a lot of people who aren't Christians. They're not just feeding their church. Why would he do that? It's because the gospel of Jesus Christ should move me with compassion. Not make excuses for why I disagree or why it doesn't fit my narrative. There's a lot of things in this world that doesn't fit my narrative that I don't understand or may even not agree with, but that isn't going to stop me from preaching the gospel and reaching out to people that are hurting and broken and in need. Why would we avoid the hurting and the broken if they're the ones that need it the most? So Jesus said this. Listen to this. Matthew 25, 37. I'm wrapping up with a couple of thoughts. Matthew 25, verse 37. And Jesus said this. Then the righteous will answer him one day. Because Jesus was preaching a message. This is what he said. He said, you know what? One day you're going to get to heaven. And, and, and I'm going to say thank you for feeding me. Thank you for giving me drink. Thank you for visiting me in prisons. And they said, what are you talking about? I don't understand. What, you, what do you mean? And so Jesus said, the righteous will answer him one day, Lord, when, we, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, Hang tight, buckle your seat belts. This is your king talking, not your pastor. To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, mm-hmm, even the least of them, yeah, you did it to me. So, Pastor Jody, why are you describing things? Why are you talking to me? Why did you bring up the whole issue of white in the background, in white people in the background, why would you do such a thing? It is because my brothers in the Lord are telling me they are experiencing something that I do not experience. And I'm challenging every one of us to listen right now and to ask, why? And how can I be compassionate and not give them ten reasons why you're okay? How does that help someone who's sick? someone's hurting and bleeding and left for dead and I say well you know listen uh, you know I'm doing pretty good right now you know my knee used to hurt but it doesn't hurt anymore I feel a lot better now and you know I'm doing pretty good and stuff you know no that's not what is needed what is needed is bandage the wound take care of the sick fix help restore it takes nothing from who I am as an individual to listen and understand what my brothers are going through I said my brothers are going through. I'm not telling you things that come from the news media. I'm saying my brothers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you fed me, you visited me, you comforted me. Listen, if my gospel is void of compassion, I want to challenge us all today, watching online in this room, myself, is it really the gospel? I'm I'm, I'm being very real, and I know, I, I get it. So, my gosh, man, 
Like, what is the deal with you, man? I am tired of seeing and hearing what I am seeing and hearing. My compassion is going to probably override my judgment at times. You're just going to have to love me through it. But I can't help it. The compassion of Christ should move us to the another side to listen and understand someone else's experience. I'm going to go a little further. And then I'm going to dismiss everybody in Jesus' name with love. And you're going to love me in Jesus' name because you have to because we're Christians. But if my gospel only agrees with the Christian who is in office, is it really the gospel? I don't need anybody to send me anything else about President Trump. I'm so tired of hearing about he's God's man for this and God's man for that. Can I just challenge all of us in this area? Yes, of course. He's the president of the United States. He is an elected official as the people, whether you voted for him or not. He's your president. And we are supposed to pray for those in authority. But can I challenge us all right now, my Christian brothers and sisters, did we pray for the one that was in there the last eight years as much as we're praying for the one that's in there for the last four years? That's my challenge. Because if my gospel only stops with Republican, and I can't pray for the Democrat, it's not the gospel. Because I'm not supposed to pray for all people in authority, the ones I agree with and the ones I disagree with. I don't need another logo to tell me about what somebody said about another guy. I pray for this one just like I pray for the last one. I probably prayed more for the last one than I prayed for this one because I thought, I prayed to God and I thought, that through that man, I thought there was going to be such a healing in our nation. That's what I prayed for. I thought, you know what? I may not agree on this policy or that policy. That it didn't matter to me. He's an elected official. What am I going to do? Not pray for him? It doesn't make any sense. My gospel should move me. Why would I not pray? Paul told Timothy to pray for those in authority. And as I wrap up today, do you know who he was talking about at the time? You might want to research this and find out what this joker. His name was Nero. Nero lost his mind. Like he had lost, he went bananas. This guy killed people left and right. He, he massacred the Jews, the Christians, anybody and everybody that did not agree with him. I mean, you talk about short man syndrome. This brother had it off the end of the, he was gone bananas. He's crazy. And Paul told Timothy, Timothy, do you know who's in charge? Timothy's like, yeah, it's Nero. Like, I see him. He's saying all kinds of stuff. He's going to kill us all, man, Paul said. Timothy, I want you to pray for him. Huh? Why? Because he's in authority. And we're going to pray for him so that you might live a quiet and peaceable life. See, my prayers, when I pray for people, if I'm so offended at someone and what they're doing and their actions and what they're displaying that I cannot pray for them, I've misguided the gospel because Jesus said, pray even for your enemies. If I ever get to a point in my life as a Christian where I can't do that, I'm sorry. You have a watered-down gospel. It's just the truth. Wrapping up with the last scripture, Matthew 9, 11 when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why, he's hanging out with all the people he shouldn't, why is your teachers, and they label them off, 
This is so funny. They labeled them up. Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? <laughs> so when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. And then Jesus says something that we talked about last week. But I would challenge you before I read this, if you haven't seen um, the, the, um, uh, the Chosen, there's just one episode. You can watch them all. They're fantastic. There's one episode when he's dealing with Matthew and the, the, basically the barbecue that Jesus got when he called Matthew. He was all good when he called the other guys. But when he crossed the line and called Matthew, even his own guys questioned what he was doing. But Jesus wasn't bothered by it because his gospel's bigger than the crowd he runs with. Go and watch that one episode because this is what he challenges the, on the movie clip. This is what he does. But in this verse, listen to what he says. Go now and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Aren't you glad that he did? Because I don't know where you fall in this scenario, but I'm going to tell you where I fall. I fell into the sinner category. And in case you didn't know this, you were too. But nonetheless, if, if you didn't know this, you fell into the sinner's category. I fell into deep, deep into the sinner's category. And I get tired of hearing about people say, well, you know, the background of this individual, they did some stuff and this stuff, so therefore they didn't. No, 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 no. Hey, listen, if you knew me before you knew me now, what you see on screen, <laughs> before, if you knew me before, you know me now as a pastor. The only difference between me and other people is I didn't get caught. Just being honest. Hope y'all good with that. Just don't want you to be nervous right now. The difference between me and other people, I didn't get caught. There's things that you have no idea that I pray to God I've lived in a day and thank you, Jesus. There was not drone cameras, video surveillance, and other people doing this all day long. Because, <laughs> listen, I'd been barbecued a long time ago. I thank God he called the sinners and didn't just say only the righteous get to come in. Thank God for that. So I'm challenging all of us right now to revisit this again, this idea that we put forth as a church, and that is this, to have one hope for every heart. If your gospel is causing you to be offended at someone right now, eh, it's not the gospel. Because Jesus said, blessed are they who are not offended by me. And my message, he also said, if you are offended, go to that brother or sister and ask them and let it out and get it out. Ask for forgiveness, deal with it. If you can't go to them because of abuse, you deal with God and let God intercede on your behalf. But we're supposed to release offenses. We're supposed to forgive. We're supposed to have mercy and justice and all the different things that we talk about so much in church. But I'm just at the point in my life where 10 to 12 on a Sunday morning is not going to cut it for me. If my mercy and compassion and justice can't work outside these walls, then I'm sorry. That gospel's watered down. So today, I don't know what you're hearing right now. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what you're experiencing right now. I can guarantee you this. All of us have different experiences. And I could share with you some of mine. I haven't always had great experiences. But my experiences are different than others. As I go today, I'm going to challenge you with this last thought. I'm going to pray for you. You're here today and, you know, you're sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Jody... You know, I hear where you're coming from. I've been hurt by Christians. Me too. I'm sorry about that. I hate that. I really do. I really do. I hate that. It it bothers me, and I hate that you had that experience. I hate the fact that 
if you are of one ethnicity, another ethnicity has come against you. I hate that if you are female, you feel like you have been overlooked by men. I hate the fact that if you're a child, you've been abused. I hate the fact that in our culture today, that it seems as if something bad happens, it gets swept under the rug. I hate that if that's happened to you. I am sorry for what you have gone through. I really am. All of us, though, have had experiences that differ. And I may not understand yours, but I'll tell you this. Jesus Christ knows what you've been through. And he will love you unconditionally. His grace runs so deep, you could never, never begin to exhaust the fountains of grace. And that's who I want you to focus on today. Not the person who hurt you and not the people who let you down. But listen, man, we've all experienced something. I want you to think about Jesus right now. The one who said, I came to seek and save those that were lost. I came to heal the sick and the sinner. I came to shed my blood for all. But listen, not everybody's going to call on Jesus. The righteous, they think they're in good shape. They'll never turn to Jesus. But those who know they're sick and hurt and broken and wounded, That's who he said, would you call upon me now? Would you ask of me? Jesus says, if you do this, if you call upon me and ask of me, I'll give you living water to refresh your soul. If you call upon me, I'll take the burden off of you and I'll put it on me. If you call upon me today, I'll love you unconditionally. Listen, right where you're at, we're going to pray this prayer in this room right now, but if that's you and you're watching right now and you do not know Jesus Christ, would you simply just acknowledge him in prayer right now? We're going to all pray together right now. You can just pray along with me. It's just fine. Or just pray something of this nature. Say something like this today. Say, Dear Jesus, I come before you today. I give you my heart and I give you my life. I acknowledge I've been hurt. I've been let down. I'm mad. And I'm upset. But Jesus, I give you today all of my emotions, all of my transgressions, all of my fears, and most of all, I give you my sin. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Listen, if you pray that prayer, we're so proud of you. Give them some love right now, would you, church? Right there online, you can love on them right now. Let them know how much you appreciate them. Our hosts right now, they're watching online with you, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on Facebook Live right now. They're going to let you know what you do next. You can simply fill out the next comment card they have that pops up right there, let you know how you can walk with Christ, give you some next steps on how you can follow him. Man, we just want to love on you and help you get started walking with Jesus. As always, before you go, listen, I love you. I hope you know that I love you. I love every one of you in this room as well. I love you dearly. But I'm just a man that's got a burden right now. And I'm doing my very best to walk that out. So I love you. Love me as we walk it out together in Jesus' name. So number six, before we leave, this is what we always pray and declare over our church. And everyone watching right now, we declare this over you right now. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. That is our prayer for you today, man. We love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. We'll see you next time. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. 
Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time. Oh,